in your Bibles. Um, I'm going to use Psalm 58 as an introduction to Psalm 59. Okay, so I'm going to try to preach through both of these psalms tonight. And I think you'll see why pretty quickly. Um, it's pretty rough material. And obviously, you'll be able to tell by now, if you've been with us any length of time through this series, you're going to be able to tell pretty quickly that we're dealing with a heavy tribulation context, doctrinally speaking. But I want to make sure, with the help of God, that we make proper application to our lives. And I'll tell you, there's plenty of application. All right, Psalm chapter 58. We'll read this psalm, and then we'll pray, and then I'll give you the introduction here, and then we'll get into Psalm 59. The Bible says in Psalm 58, to the chief musician... Altashith, Mitchkam, Mitchtam of David. Do ye indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do ye judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Great question. Do you really know what you're talking about? Are you really right? Are you really speaking righteously? Is your judgment, do you really judge uprightly? Fact of the matter is, most people in their human nature don't. And when you get into the tribulation period, you're not going to have righteous judges. And as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, and as evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, men's judgment is going to be farther and farther off. Uh, they're brainwashing an entire generation, even if you're in a conservative school in a conservative area, they're asking them what pronoun they want to be referred to as. They're planning it in their minds early on. So you give it 20 more years, and you ask me how these people are going to be able to judge righteously how they're going to have good judgment on anything. Their judgment is completely distorted and that where you're at in this culture, where you're at in this generation, where you're at in the world and in the time frame of Almighty God is you're so far gone that it is considered right to train your kids from day one to think that they might not be what they are because something in them feels like they are not what they are. How is there any absolute truth at all? They're robbing them of it. And uh, it's a setup for what's coming in the tribulation period. Yea, in heart ye work wickedness. That's the root of the issue. You weigh violence in your of your you weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like the deaf adder that stoppeth their ear, which will not hearken to the voice of the charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O oh God, in their mouth. Man, I, I, I like the way the Bible talks. You understand that? Bible's a manly book. Excuse me, not to, not to you know, be little ladies or nothing, but Bible's a manly book. I mean, he's like crunching. Have you ever had your teeth broken in your mouth? I have. I got elbowed in the chin one time, and my teeth crossed that way like that, and I heard them. I heard them. It was like gravel in my mouth. I heard them break. I tasted them. They were like, it, it's a brutal feeling. I, I can't even explain to you, though. The, the, it, was, it was horrible. I mean, three or four of them just kind of like, like that. I, I hit right on the jaw with an elbow and just, it's terrible. <laughs> break out their teeth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be cut as cut in pieces as a snail which melteth. All the scholars and the modern-day smart guys just get all hung up on that. They think that he didn't understand and he had strange perceptions and they're idiots. I'll get back to that later. Let every one of them pass away, like the untimely birth of a woman that may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, they can't understand what that means either, but we'll get back to that. 
He shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily there is a reward for the righteous. Verily he is a God that judgeth in the earth. Let's pray. Father, I love you tonight. I pray you bless the preaching now. Be with my mind, be with my mouth, and give your folks, Lord, the message they need tonight to help them out get down the road a little farther in trying to serve you. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'll quickly want to cover this chapter, starting in the title. Notice the Altashith. We talked about that last week. It means to destroy not. And Mitkam, that's an interesting word. It means the golden secret. So how interesting it is that right at the beginning when David's titling this thing, he's talking about God not destroying, and he's talking about a golden secret. And when you read through this, this chapter, you don't see a whole lot of golden nothing in here. You see a lot of the wickedness of man. In verse number one, we already commented on that just a little, but the Bible tells us there's a day when they're going to call good evil and evil good. And you're right on the cusp of that. It's already begun. And it's going to get worse, I will guarantee you. They're nowadays saying that if you preach against sodomy, that you are evil, and that is, that's bullying, and you're persecuting people, and you're messing with their psyches, and you're somehow the devil if you say, listen, don't mess with my kid's head, don't brainwash my child to think she's a boy when she knows she's a girl, get off my kid and stop trying to propagate this unbelievable foolishness. Folks, it's gone to levels that nobody could have ever imagined even 20 years ago. We would have never imagined we'd see it where it is, and mark my words, I'm not just a big mouth and I'm not just running on emotion. The day is coming when it's going to be even worse. There's already a little segment of weirdos that want to not be, you know, so hard on the pedophiles so we shouldn't be calling them pedophiles because that's, you know, I mean, come on, man, seriously? And that is absolutely coming. Listen, I'll just give you my opinion. This could wind me up in jail someday. Definitely people will call me evil for saying this. And if the right people call me evil, then I know I'm doing my job, okay? Listen, there's a good, th- there's a good way to handle the pedophiles. The death penalty. That's how I feel about it as a father. I feel the death penalty is what's the perfect way to handle them. I think they've done something worthy of death. They need to be extinguished from the planet so they can't do something so sick to anybody else or hurt anybody else. And I'll tell you this much, that is one good way to help those that have been hurt heal to know that that creep is not out there and it's not going to happen again or to anybody else. But, you know, I'm evil for saying that. Because we're getting real close to the tribulation period and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived and their minds are corrupted and they've gone away from God, the Bible and truth in every way, shape and form and it's going spiraling downhill real fast. Look at verse number two. Where does this kind of foolishness come from? This talking like they can speak righteousness but they can't. Talking like they know how to judge something but they don't. He says, yea, in heart ye work wickedness. You see where it comes from? It comes from the heart. You know what the root of the problem is? It's their hearts. You know why people get offended when you preach on sodomy or when you preach on fornication or when you preach on drunkenness? I'll tell you why they get offended. Because they've got a wicked heart. Hey, listen, you may have a problem with alcohol and not get offended at preaching on it because your heart's not wicked, your flesh is caught up in something that it shouldn't be caught up in, and you want the victory, you want help from God. doesn't make them wicked just because they commit the sin. What makes them wicked is when they don't want preaching on their sin, they won't accept preaching on their sin, and they want to say that, hey, listen, that's really not wrong. I don't care what God says, what morality says, what my conscience says, what we've always known to be true. It doesn't matter. I don't want to hear it. Get off me. It's a wicked heart that's the problem that's the root of the issue 
And hearts are getting worse and worse. I'll tell you that much right now. It's insane to me to watch the degradation of society. You know what the problem with Judas was? It was his heart. Verse number two, you weigh violence in your hand, of the, the violence of your hands in the earth. Verse number three, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Now, this is not the exact same as a baby that cries to deceive you into picking him up, right? Because there is that. We all do kind of go forth from the womb speaking lies, right? You moms and dads that had any infants before, little toddlers before, you know they lie all the time. But that's not what this is talking about. Because he says in verse number three, the wicked are estranged from the womb. So he's talking about something a little deeper than just the average sinfulness of human nature. There's something going on here that runs even farther below the surface and is even scarier than the average human sin. And you'll notice what I'm talking about when you look at verse 4. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of the charmers, charming never so wisely. Then he says in verse 6, Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? I mean, when you look at that and stop and think about it, he's talking about somebody that goes forth from the womb speaking lies, and he says they're wicked, and they're wicked from the very beginning, and as they go forth from the womb speaking lies, they're poisons like the poison of an adder, and and they stop their ears, and when you charm at them, and when you try to help them, when you try to control that poison and control that movement, that, that thing will not be charmed. In other words, they're a generation that will not be preached to. Didn't Paul tell us that in Timothy? They will not endure sound doctrine. They will not be instructed. They will not be corrected. They will not be helped. They're, they're, they're just absolutely so far gone. I mean, from the beginning, they're so far gone. The little, little derelicts right from the start, you can't control them, you can't correct them, you can't discipline them. And when you try, all they do is, they bite back. He said, break the teeth of the young lions. Something's really wrong with this picture. Now, I've taught you before, and I believe it's pretty strongly shown in the Bible. Uh, and I wouldn't go too crazy on it, but I take a pretty strong opinion myself that as we get closer to the tribulation and even get into the tribulation, that you're going to have a replay of what was going on in Genesis chapter 6. That you actually have some among you that you would think are... One of us, but they're actually not. They're spots in your Feast of Charity. There's some influences happening, and I'll say this at a very minimum, and I can say this definitively. You'll have human beings so possessed of the devil, so controlled of an evil spirit, so far down the wrong road, so given over to their sin, so hard in their heart, so reprobate in every single way that they're utterly controlled by the devil, demonic spirits, the lust of the flesh, and a demonic mentality, a selfish, self-centered, lust-filled, me-first mentality that they will not be corrected, they will not be charmed they will not be controlled and all you can do with them is bust their teeth out of their mouth with the help of God that's all you can do I'll never forget when I was in Bible college <laughs> well it's a couple different stories that actually sort of tie in we were down in old city uh, Tennessee that's a, a part of like downtown Knoxville I think it is it's been 20 over 20 years now but uh, it, part of downtown Knoxville there where there's still brick pavers on the roads like old-fashioned roads and there's just a bunch of bars down there. I mean, just, just a bunch of debauchery, you know. And there was a particular bar that the, the steps went down into a basement. And everybody that went into that bar, they were like, they were like the, the goths. 
I mean, there's people walking down the road wearing all black and their faces were, uh, makeup was white and they'd have 666 across the forehead. One real tall, I don't know if it was a woman or a man, it was definitely dressed up like a woman passing me and I tried to give it a gospel track and it was like, and it had 666 on its forehead. Uh, we're preaching on the street corner down there. That's how I, know, by the way, that's how I know about that. We went down there to street preach. I need to put that in there, okay? <laughs> there was just a handful of guys in that school that were, you know, Bible believers, and we kind of gravitated to each other, and so we went out to go street preaching down there while the rest of them were doing whatever they were doing. Um, anyways, polishing their nails or whatever they do. And we were down there street preaching. And so uh, th- these, this guy come across the street, comes up to me, and, he, you know, they're getting up in our face. They're getting mad. I mean, while we're preaching and singing, no- nothing but the blood was unbelievable when you sing that out there. It was amazing. I mean, the power of the Word of God, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I've never seen it like that before or since. It's amazing. We stand out there, start gathering around, singing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And a whole big old group of them got over there, and it was like a beehive. The more we sang, the more angry they got. And so for whatever reason, a couple of them picked me out as the guy they wanted to come get, whose face they wanted to get into. And they come across the street. The one guy's telling me, he's like, you need to kill me. You need to kill me. Get rid of me. You need to kill me. I said, what do you, he said, well, your Bible says suffer not a witch to live, and I'm a witch. You need to kill me. I said, man, you don't know the Bible. I said, that's Old Testament. That's to Old Testament Israel. I said, instead of killing you, how about the fact God sent his son to die on the cross for you? Boy, he got mad. He takes the Pops the thing off of his necklace, and there's a little pill inside his necklace. He said, see that? I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, you know what that is? I said, no. He said, whenever my master tells me, I'll take my own life. There's a little poison pill in there. Now, if I wasn't there, I'd think you were making something up. I said, that's real interesting. Your master wants you to give your life for him, but my master gave his life for me. I'll never forget that night. We were walking down the street, and there was a a group of them sitting outside a little bar, and they were drinking their their beers. (laughs) We, We were... Younger back then, so we kind of like in the outside patios, we walk in and pass out tracks to all of them while they're drinking, you know, until they kick us out. Monster comes up, says, You can't be in here. Like, okay, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. You're passing them out and try to hand him one, you know. And, and I walked up to a table, and they're all sitting there, and it was the eeriest thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if they're kidding or not to this day, I still don't know. I, I kind of tended to believe them. They started laughing and looking at each other, and it was the coldest, most unemotional bizarre thing I'd ever seen in my life. The one looked at me and said, you don't understand. I said, what don't I understand? They said, we can't be saved. We know all about that. We can't. Now get out of here. Just as calm as it could possibly be. And to this day, I'm not sure what I was talking to. If they've been so deceived by the devil that they think they sold their soul to him and so they can't get saved, or what. But I do know this, whether I was talking to a human being or not, I was talking to pure evil. I do know this, that they just assume slit my throat and drink my blood is look at me. I'm talking about wickedness. You understand what I'm saying? That's how bad it's going to get in the tribulation period. Aren't you glad God's getting you out of here in a rapture? <laughs> You ought to be thankful for that. I'm not trying to freak you out tonight. I'm trying to tell you the truth. You ought to be thankful for that. Just wickedness. You know what you do with them? You break their teeth out. God has to. Because they're, they're that evil. They won't be talked to. They won't be charmed. You know, God told you the heretic after the first and second admonition, what are you supposed to do with them? Reject them. You know what you're supposed to do? Walk away. Don't get into it with them. Don't push it. 
Don't get so obsessed with, no, you don't understand. You can get saved. Okay, if you don't want it, goodbye. Why? Because I'm not sure what I'm dealing with. I don't know if I'm dealing with a person or not. I don't know if I'm dealing with a person possessed of a devil. I don't, I'm not God. And you know what? It doesn't even matter. It, it's not even a big deal. I mean, really, who cares? Why, why are you looking at me like that? Who cares? I know who I belong to. And he's got me covered, and I know what instructions I was given, so I operate within the confines of the Word of God, and I give them a couple shots, and they don't want it. I walk away. It doesn't matter to me how wicked they are. I'm walking away from them because I know this. God said the heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject them. Quit pushing people at work that don't want it. You might be dealing with something that's going to come back to bite you, cause you your job, try to wreck your testimony. Leave them alone if they don't want it, and move on for God. Never forget, we got back to the parking lot after we had been off on a break, and we had all come back, and there was a couple of guys, that Grace is going to remember them, a couple of guys from West Virginia, and they were brothers. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, this Chevy S10. He says, come here. I can't even do that accent. It was so deep, mountain-like West Virginia accent. Come here. So I, I go over to his truck, and he pops the lid off of it, and there's a rattlesnake in there. He grabs a pillow and throws it in there and then reaches in there and grabs that thing and pulls out. It's like, check this out. I'm like, man, you are nuts. You lost your cotton-picking mind. He goes, that's fine, man. It's all right. He sticks it in my face like that. I'm like, bro, I'm going to kill you, man. I mean, it's literally, I'm having a heart attack, okay? He goes, no, really, it's fine. Look, and he pinches the thing and opens its mouth up. He had ripped its fangs out with pliers. <laughs> well, that's what you do with a snake, don't you? You know that's what God's going to do with them? Ain't that a blessing? Ain't it a blessing you already got on the right side? So as things get worse, let me ask you what we're supposed to do. Are we supposed to panic about how bad it's getting? Are we supposed to get obsessed with it? Are we supposed to get too into the stories about whether or not they're really human or not human or possessed or not possessed? Are we supposed to get too into that? Are we supposed to say, hey, God, you know who they are and what they are. You know that they don't like us. You know that they're against us. We're going to ask you one thing. God, would you break their teeth? Because I know this much. I can't. I'm telling you right now, I can't. The adversary that I have and the enemy that I have is too strong for me. Do you understand that? I'm not into all this, you know, give me a devil my size and I'll whoop him. You're an idiot. And the man that said that lost all of his children to alcohol. Oh, yeah. Give me a devil my size and I'll whoop him. Really? Okay, he's so smart, he's going to go right around you and he'll take out your whole family, spiritually speaking. He ain't no adversary to mess with and his people ain't nothing to mess with either. You get away from him and you leave him to God. And that's what David did, didn't he? He ran from him, right? I mean, a real tough guy knows when to fight and when to walk away. You do understand that. An idiot can fight everybody. I don't care if you can whoop everybody, you have to sleep sometime. You understand what I mean? So a smart guy knows, listen, I'm not going to mess with this, I'm going to survive. He's smart. He knows to get out of Dodge and leave him to God, and that's what he's doing in chapter number 58. Notice in verse number 7, let them melt away as waters which runneth continually. Look at the context. Let them melt away as waters, right? So you can see how waters just kind of keep moving and disappear. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. As a snail which melteth. Oh, see, these people didn't know. They didn't understand. They were so unscientific. Uh, it's sort of like a type of phrase God uses all the time, like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's a common phrase in poetry or in writing. And what he's saying is when you look at a snail and they, they move along, they're slimy, ain't they? 
Do you know in the Old Testament they were unclean? An unclean beast. A slimy, unclean beast that leaves a slimy trail behind him. And guess what you find out when you look it up? The average snail lives from two to five years. They don't have a long lifespan. That's a perfect statement right there. This isn't like an, an ignorant man who's uneducated. He's using a picture, and it's a beautiful picture, and it makes all the sense in the world. In context of verse 7, he's talking about his waters melt away. As a snail which melteth, let every one of them pass away. He's saying, God, let them all move on and move on quick, like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun before your pots can feel the thorns. When you study through your Bible, you find out the thorns are a type of wicked men. And the pots are the schemes and the plans that the men use to try to cook up their, their wicked devices, their sorceries. Like, there's death in the pot, man of God, there's death in the pot, right? So that's what he's saying. And when he says this in verse number eight, uh, in verse number uh, nine, he says, Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with the whirlwind. What? The pots and the thorns. The wicked men and the schemes that they have and the concoctions they have to try to destroy the righteous, he's saying, God, take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. And boy, we will. Folks, the day is coming when God's going to put down your adversaries. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. I mean, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Ain't it going to be great to see God put all your adversaries down? It's going to be wonderful to see God put our adversary, the devil, in hell for eternity. We're going to rejoice in that day. We're going to thank God for the day that the battle is over and the wickedness is gone and we get to live in, in righteousness and pleasure and joy before Almighty God throughout eternity and with one another. What a great time that's going to be. The righteous will rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. Let me ask you a question. You try to do right, right? Please say yes. I hope there's more than just Jesse. You try to do right. You ever feel like when you do right, you get kicked in the teeth? You ever look at somebody who's doing wrong and feel like nothing ever bad, bad ever happens to the people doing wrong? Do you know what brings joy to a righteous person? To know that God's fair and just. Don't you have sometimes, now let's not be super spiritual, let's be real because I can't help you if you're always being super stinking spiritual. Don't you feel sometimes like, man, God, that's not fair. God, why? That is one of the struggles of being in the flesh, living in a sinful world. Can I tell you, you got a righteous God who is only waiting to pass the judgment because he's so long-suffering and so gracious and so kind, he's trying to see some people saved, but the day is coming when he will right all wrongs, every wrong will be righted, and God will not be found to be a liar, or unjust, or unfair. His ways just aren't our ways, and his thoughts just aren't our thoughts. That's all. So this day is coming when we're going to rejoice. Notice the second half of that verse, he shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Who? The righteous. Uh, We're coming back behind him on white horses. And we're going to be in that valley. And the blood's going to be up to the horse's bridle. And your feet are going to be dragging through the blood of the wicked. (laughs) That Jesus Christ shed. You know, Americans are really weird about blood. You know that? We are. We're weird about blood. You ain't going to be worried about it. Ain't no diseases getting on you. You're going to be in a glorified body, man. 
That blood's going to be running up the horse's bridle. There's going to be every disease on the planet running through all that. I mean, the nastiest diseases there ever was. I mean, AIDS and everything else is going to be flowing through that stuff. I mean, monkeypox will be in it. I mean, it's all going to be there. You understand what I'm saying? He's wiping out wicked, wicked beings and destroying them. And the blood's running up to the horse's bridle. And you're dipping your feet in it, riding behind him, praising the Lord. I mean, think about them horses, the way they think, uh, that thing's splashing everywhere. You understand what I'm talking about? It's going to be blood. And you're going to be rejoicing in that day because it's the judgment and just fair treatment of Almighty God on the wicked who hate you. That day's coming. The difference between Christianity and Islam is we let God do it in His timing. And in the meanwhile, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 11, so that a man shall say, Verily there is a reward for the righteous. Do you see that? Verily he is a God that judges in the earth. That's going to bring joy to your heart. You're going to recognize God's fair and just. Now the title for 59, don't worry, we're going to move faster through this, to the chief musician, there it is again, Altashith, to destroy not. Mitchtem of David, when Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. So in just a minute we'll go over there and look at it, that's 1 Samuel 19. But what I want you to notice, first of all, what we need to remember in the day and time when there's a lot of tribulation. Because Jesus Christ told you, in the world ye shall have tribulation, right? He promised you. In Romans, it tells us that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Talking about tribulation. And and it says tribulation worketh, I just quoted it to you, patience, right? You know what James says? Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Do you know even though God promised you you won't go into the great tribulation like I've been talking about up till now, like chapter 58 is describing, even though you won't be going into the great tribulation, you know what you will have in your Christian life? The Lord told you it was going to happen. So he's not unjust. He's not unfair. He didn't bait you and switch you. He didn't say, listen, get saved and follow me and I'm going to bless you and you're going to live your best life now. That was some other dude in Texas. You understand what I'm saying? A millionaire in Texas. That's what he said. The Bible never said that. A false preacher might have said it. A con man might have said it. A salesman might have said it. A businessman might have said it. But God didn't say that. Jesus Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. He told you that you have an enemy, an adversary, the devil. He told you that you have an enemy, the world. He told you that you have an enemy, your flesh, and you're still stuck in it. And he said, now it's time to do some battle and fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life and endure hardness as a good soldier and go through the tribulation and go through the trial. Let it have its perfect work. Don't fight it. Go through it. And let it patiently develop in you what I'm going to do in you to make you better through your tribulation. What a message. (laughs) Hey, you want to, can I say this? What a God. I am so glad God didn't lie to me. I'm so glad God didn't give me false expectations because there have been times in my life where it's like My goodness, man, if I didn't know the Bible and if I hadn't read the Bible and if I hadn't been taught the Bible and if I hadn't heard the Bible preached my whole life, I'd have lost my faith. 
I'm just telling you. I'm just, can I just say that? Is that okay for me to say that? I'd have lost my faith. If all I had was what some of these churches give people, I'd have lost my faith in God. Some of that preaching, you know, like, you better do right or God's going to pop your tires and blow up your furnace and he's just a God of judgment all the time. Yes, he's a God of judgment. We just read it. Bought up to the horse's bridle. You ain't kidding, man. Yes, he whips his children. But there are times when you're not doing wrong, you're trying to do right, and listen, it comes anyways because you live in enemy territory. You've got to understand that. And what you've got to understand when you're in the tribulation, verse number one of chapter 59, deliverance is needed. Deliver me from mine enemies, O oh my God. Defend me from them which rise up against, that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they will lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are against me. Not for my transgression, not for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. Thou therefore, Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. See it? Tribulation. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog. They go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth. Swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have the heathen in derision. You know what he cried out to God for? Verse 1, deliverance. When you're in tribulation, when it's not going good, when wicked people are around you, and listen, they're around you. They're around you. You know what you need? Deliverance from God. Because I already told you, I'm not strong enough for tribulation. I, I, I gave you the, the dichotomy of human beings that are wicked and a spirit world that we can't see. And don't give me this junk that you know what's what. You don't necessarily know what's what. If Satan's more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and his ministers show up as ministers of righteousness and he appears as an angel of light, don't think you know when they are and aren't possessed. Sometimes they're full of anger and rage and you're like, that guy's possessed. And he's not. He's just had a rough life. Or she's not. She just had a rough life. She's just angry and bitter and frustrated. Other times they may be. You and I don't know. You know what you need? You need a God that delivers because you can't even trust your own judgment, but you can trust His. You need to be close to the Almighty God of glory because He is the one that can deliver you. He is the one that can keep you safe. With Him, with Him, we are more than conquerors. Without Him, you cannot handle it. I'm telling you, you can't. You kids in school, listen to me clearly. I want you to hear me. You kids in school, you're Christians. You're in church on a Wednesday night. You've got a Bible-believing church you're sitting in. You've got Christian parents that are taking you to church on a Wednesday night. That makes you a target for the devil. Do you understand that? That makes you a target from other kids in school that want to get you into the sin they're into and drag you down, get in your minds, get in your hearts, and get you away from what God wants you to be, what God wants you to have, what God wants to do in your life. You better learn to ask God to deliver you because you aren't strong enough to say no. You're a little coward. Some of you need to learn to have the guts to stand up for what's right and to tell them no. No. 
If you don't get closer to God and start reading your Bible and praying and walking with the Lord, you're going to get drugged down the wrong road. And I'll be here for you. I will be. But you don't have to go there. And I don't have to I don't have to have some of the conversations that we're going to have in 10 years. You don't have to have some of the heartbreaks and struggles that you're destined for. You better get close to God and ask him to deliver you because there's wicked people in this world that want to drag you down and get in your mind and get in your heart and get you away from Almighty God. They don't care about you like I do or like your parents do. They don't care. They just want to get you into the mess they're into so they can feel better about themselves because they don't like your testimony. But listen, God might use you to help see some of them get saved. And if you just cave in and let their peer pressure drag you down the wrong road and get you into the long, wrong stuff, you're going to have to look at them someday at the great white throne judgment. They're going to say, how come you're not going with me? You're going to say, because I was saved. Say, you were? Why were you doing what I was doing? Why didn't you tell me some friend you are? Some stinking friend you are, you coward. Why don't you say, no, that's wrong? Well, they're going to make fun of me and ostracize me. Well, so what? That's what you got us for. Amen. That's what you got youth group for. You go there to learn, don't you? You're not going there to make friends. You're not going there to hang out. Be kind. Be a good Christian testimony. Be a witness. But isn't that what you got us for? Stand up for what's right. But I'm telling you, if you don't learn to reach out to God for deliverance, you're not going to have the strength to do it. I don't have the strength to do it without God. And I know that. And I've been doing this a lot longer than you have. And I know I can't do it. Without the help of God, I can't do it. You need God's deliverance. Tribulation's coming. They're going to keep the pressure on you. Look at 1 Samuel chapter number 19. 1 Samuel chapter number 19. I am telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, the devil don't sit back and watch a bunch of young people get a hold of God. And start making good decisions and just let it go. He'll bring the pressure. He'll bring the wicked people to try to influence you and drag you down. He'll try to get in your head and get in your mind and get in your heart and get you twisted against your parents and against your church and against the truth. 1 Samuel chapter 19, look at verse 8. And there was war again and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter. And they fled from him. Now I feel bad preaching so hard at you kids. You understand that? I do feel bad. But I don't at the same time, calling you a coward and all that stuff. But you know I care, right? All right, three of you know I care. The rest of you, I promise you I care. And slew them. By the way, your parents say we like it. They, they egg me on. They say, we like the way you preach at the kids. So there you go. Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence. as in t- Oh, no, I'm sorry, verse 8. David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter and they fled before, from him. And an evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. So God allows this evil spirit after Saul because Saul's rebelled against God. He drops a hedge of protection from him. So what you're dealing with is a man who's made bad choices and he kept making the wrong choices until God finally said, All right, Satan, you can have Adam. God's not protecting him anymore. Um... He sat in the house with the javelin in his hand. David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So what they're doing is they're watching the house, right? Isn't that what the title of 
chapter 59 said. David's writing this chapter at this time in his life. He's in tribulation. He's running for his life because his father-in-law is trying to kill him. He throws a javelin at him, which is like a long spear-like thing that they would throw and it'd stick into him. And he's trained in throwing this thing. And by the way, he's one of the biggest guys in the kingdom. He's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He has a monster of a man. And he takes that, that thing, he, boom, and David, boom, moves like that, bang, it hits the wall, they can hear it, you know, that, bang, bang. He was, was going to kill them. I used to throw knives a lot, they do that, the throwing knives, oh, bang, when you throw them good and they stick real tight, you know. And that's what, that's what happened. And he goes home, and he runs home to his wife thinking, okay, right, I got out of that crazy man's castle. And he's home with his wife, and Saul says, go get that boy. And they're surrounding the house while he's trying to sleep. He had just gone out to war and fought the enemies of Saul and had a great victory for God's people. He has done nothing wrong. Saul sends messengers. His wife says, you got to leave. In verse number 12, Michael let Saul down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. So she made it look like he was still laying in the bed. And then when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. Saul sent messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. So when they come in there, it's the king's daughter. And when she says, He's not feeling good, he's still laying in bed. Just where they're like, Okay, they didn't want to push it. You know, they're in this bad spot with this crazy king. But this is the king's daughter, and we don't want to tick her off. And so they're all kind of like, All right. And so they, they leave and they come back. Saul says, Go back there and get him. Saul sends messengers again to David, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. He says, Pick up the bed and bring him in here, and I'll stab him to death while he's laying in the bed. When the messengers were come in, verse 16, behold, there was an image in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Michael, Why hast thou deceived me so and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go. Why should I kill thee? His wife lied. On top of his father-in-law trying to kill him, his wife then lies about him. And so his father-in-law gives his wife to another man and she goes with it. This poor guy. He's in his 20s. He's done nothing but serve God since he was a kid. And so he writes this psalm back in Psalm 59. You see the context? Notice he says in verse number, uh, we're talking, look at verse number 4. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. You know what's happening is they're trying to get out ahead of him. They're running, they're setting him up. They run to prepare themselves without my fault. Saul's saying, David wants to kill me. David wants to destroy me. And so they're like, oh man, this David, he's, he's, he's conspiring against Saul. We better go set him up. We better go ambush him. He says, they run to prepare themselves. They're preparing to try to kill me. And I have done nothing. They're accusing me of doing things I didn't do. This is very demonic. Did you not see in 1 Samuel 19... That an evil spirit from God came on Saul. The whole thing is demonic pressure on David. Why? Because he was doing right. That's why. That's why you need the deliverance of God. He talks about dogs down here in the passage. Look at verse 6. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Man, my neighbors got two of them. They got these big old... Uh, I forget what they're called. You can saddle them, though. They're monsters. 
But one of them, one of them, just just always out there, and they always keep him late uh, on a chain, on a cable, because he's just, I mean, like all the time. The other one's big, fluffy, and he's nice. He just runs up to the edge and barks at us because that one's getting him worked up. Well, the other day, man, we were out with Coco. I forgot Coco was there, and that big one come right out in the road. Have never seen him come out in the road like that. Now we've all been waiting for that white one to come off that leash. I mean, we're waiting for that day because that thing is aggressive. I mean, he was in my yard a couple of times back when I had Rona. Rona was a female and he's a male. And he was back in my yard. I come out my back door once and he like he wasn't backing down. Me and him had a standoff in my yard. Okay? So I'm waiting for that dog to come off the leash and I'm not happy. That other one come out, he come up behind me. And I hear him growling. I turn around. I... My temper just kind of went through the roof. I had my wife and my daughters, and I forgot Coco was the reason he was out there. I forgot Coco was even there. But I, just, I, said, I said, don't you do it. I'm gonna, I'll stink and kill you. I'll, don't you do it. Why? Well, them, them dogs, man, I like dogs, right? I've always liked dogs. But, man, them things can be evil. They can be real bad. Gentiles are likened to dogs in your Bible. In Psalm chapter 22, Jesus said the dogs come visit him about. At the cross, there was dogs there. There's a connection between something spiritual and something fleshy. He's talking about the dogs belching. You see that? What do you do after you eat? Come on, gentlemen. I'm not going to be too crude, but you're not a real man if you haven't, don't know some of the finer joys of life, the simple joys. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, are we all reading... You understand what I'm trying to say, classy, because there's ladies in the room. That's one of the simpler joys of life, okay? When your belly is full, then it's a compliment to the wife that she did a great job, okay? Right? A little Asian culture in there, I guess. I don't know, but you know. Well, that's what he's talking about. Their bellies are full. Look, look down at, uh, at, at uh, verse number uh, 14. At, at the evening, let them return and let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not satisfied. He's talking about some wicked people and some wicked things out there wanting to chew on him. You need deliverance from God. Not trying to get you scared tonight. I'm trying to get you motivated to get close to God because you need it, especially in tribulation. It works, patience. Yeah, but patience can't have her perfect work if you don't feel safe. Did you hear what I said? Patience can't have her perfect work if you don't feel safe in the tribulation. You need the deliverance of God. You need His divine power. Look at verse 8. But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them, thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. I love a God like that. Look at verse 9. Because of His strength. Whose strength? (laughs) His. Will I wait upon thee? For God is my defense. You need to understand his divine power because you aren't going to have it. I am telling you, you will not have the power to withstand the tribulation. You've got to have God's. I'm glad for a God that has that kind of strength. Verse number 10, the God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon my enemies. He says, the God of my mercy You know why that's important to me? It's twofold. The mercy of God is is not giving me what I do deserve. Does that make sense? 
Even though you know you're right when you're in tribulation, don't you always doubt yourself a little bit? Am I the only one? <laughs> when it's all falling apart, don't you doubt yourself? Sure. I do. When people go through truly tragic events, the one common denominator I always see is the individuals that went through the traumatic event always look back on themselves with self-judgment, self-condemnation. Always. Divorces, deaths, war. I'm talking about war vets that have serious PTSD and I'm not talking about the fake PTSD. I'm talking about the real thing and it is very real in certain situations and circumstances and having gone through certain things. It's extremely real. All of them even though they know they were doing what they had to do, told to do, following orders, and they were right, all of them have self-doubt. I don't know why or how, but it seems to be connected to traumatic events, and it may even be an attack of the devil on your mind when you're weak. He says, the God of my mercy. Hey, you need to understand his deliverance. You need to understand his divine power, that even if there was some guilt on your part in some way or another, he's a merciful God. There's not one of us in this room that's not guilty of something. <laughs> not one of us in this room that deserves the blessings of God. Doesn't he still bless us? But I think it goes beyond that. I think mercy, there's another layer to it that's only struck me recently. Maybe I'm just an idiot, but it should have struck me a long time ago, but it's only recently struck me. I think, and he says, the God of my mercy, is he's saying, God, I know you see the situation I'm in, and based on the context, this is the one I think he's referring to. I know you see the situation I'm in. I know you know I haven't done anything wrong and they're full of the devil. And I know you care about my problem. I know you have mercy on me. Man, that's a comfort to my heart to know when I'm struggling, God has mercy on my pain. You got to know that because the devil will try to tell you he doesn't. He wants to get you blaming God for the things he's done or sin has done in the world. He wants you to think it's God because if he can do that, he can drive you from the only source of strength and deliverance and defense that you have and he gets the victory. Yeah, that's right. But if you know your strength, if you know the deliverance of God, if you know the divine power of God and the defense of God, then sooner or later in the tribulation, God brings you out of that thing. And God does something in your life that only God could do, and that's where Romans 8.28 fits in. Because all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. See, David understood his defense was not in himself, and we're done with this. Look at verse 9. Because of His strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. Look at verses 16 and 17. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and my refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. You know what he did in his tribulation? He turned himself to God. His wife has turned on him. His father-in-law has turned on him. He's fled to Samuel and he's trying to survive. And what he's doing in that desperate moment is he's turned himself fully unto God and said, Lord, I need you. And because of his personal relationship with God and his understanding of his Father's power, he winds up coming through this thing. 
and rejoicing in the Lord and singing of God's power and being able to give honor and glory to God that he never would have been able to give without his tribulation. Jesus says, in the world ye shall have tribulation, right? Well, thank God, not the great tribulation. You're going to be out of here before it gets that bad. But I'm telling you, as we get closer and closer, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems. But you've got to know the deliverance of God, the divine power of God, and the defense of God. And that only comes by drawing closer to God, not getting farther from Him. My conclusion, I want to leave you with this thought. He says, I can do all things, in Philippians 4, 13, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things, even tribulation. Yeah. How? Through Christ. See the process? The pathway? When you're going through those things, you have to walk with Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's the walk with Christ that strengthens you. These idiots with the new Bibles that just just don't have the stinking brains God gave a flea. It's unbelievable to me. They say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. (laughs) You know what that means? If you fail, it was his fault. If you fail, it's because you didn't walk with him and get your strength from him. Because I am telling you, even the youth shall faint and be weary. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. The Christian's strength and tribulation is their personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we'll pick up next week in uh, Psalm chapter 60. Let's pray and we'll be.